Welcome to Life and Living Radio, a podcast entirely created and produced by me, Emily Jordan. I'm a writer, artist, health and lifestyle coach, and most of all, I want to be a source of all things life and living for you here. Thoughts, motivation, positivity, health hacks, and lifestyle tips in easy listening form is what I want to give to you through this podcast. To subscribe to the Life and Living blog, the source of all the content you'll hear from me here, go to www.emilyjordan.me slash blog. Thanks for listening, and let's get started with today's episode. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Life and Living Radio. This is going to be a solo episode since the last episode I released was an interview episode with my lovely lesbian boss lady friend, Sydney. If you have not listened to last week's episode, episode two of Life and Living with You, that is 100% something that you need to check out. It's the most listened to episode of this entire show so far, and literally, Everyone who gave me feedback on it was like, dang, I learned a lot in that interview. So I don't want to push you away from listening to this episode because this is going to be a really good one too, but it's just going to have a much different vibe and flow than last week's interview episode with Sid. So this episode is going to be about my last four or five blog posts. Um, If you're a subscriber or if you've just been reading along weekly on emilyjordan.me, then you know that my latest posts from the life portion of the Life and Living blog have been a part of a series. And that series was a five-week-long unfolding of my story. And not just like my life story for funsies, but my business and my brand story, the story behind why I do what I do how I ended up doing this because this was totally not the plan and why my story is such an important part of what I do. I wanted to tell this story for a few reasons. Um, Number one is that first and foremost, my job, what I do as a personal development coach, a personal trainer, a life coach, whatever category you want to put me in, everything that I do rests entirely on this backstory. Um, I feel like I can't really explain what I do without at least giving some sort of abbreviated summary of my story of what I used to do and where I've been and where I'm from and all that. So it's literally crucial to the understanding and the communication of my business and my work to tell this story and to continue sharing my story. Number two is that my story is 100% unoriginal, but it's 100% unique. And what I mean by that is that I am by no means the only girl, the only 20-something, the only person who had or is still having the career struggles that I had and have. I'm not even close to the only person who went to college for one thing, who dreamed of being one thing, only to actually end up doing that thing and feel like it wasn't really the right fit. So My story is totally unoriginal in that sense because many people have lived this same story or a version of this story. Many people have struggled with reconciling who they are with what they do on a daily basis. That's not an original struggle at all. But my story is unique because I actually ended up making a life and a career out of that struggle. I didn't just stay in an unhappy job and stay unfulfilled at my work. I actually quit. Um, I quit after one year of being a fifth grade teacher, and that's pretty unique. So I do want to emphasize and explain the uniqueness of my story and make sure that people see my story as my story. But I also want to share my story in a way where people can say, oh my gosh, that's also my story. That part is something that I went through. I can relate to that. Or I have totally felt that way before too. So 
that's reason number two for telling my story. Um, it's just simply to say that, yes, this is who I am. This is my story. This is why I do what I do. But also, this is who you are and who a lot of us are. And we can be these people together going through these struggles together. The final reason that I wanted to tell my story is similar to the first reason about really providing some context um, behind why I do what I do. But more than that, my story is kind of like the glue that holds all of my pursuits together. So from the outside and just maybe even from looking at my website, it can sometimes look like a mosaic, like a hodgepodge collage of things that I like to do and things I want to do. But seriously, everything I do from my art to my small mentor groups for teenage girls to my blog, to my coaching, to my personal training, every single thing is intentional and held together by this story. Like, I didn't just pull things out of my ass like, oh, I want to help girls grow up strong and confident and I also want to write. No, everything is tied together and connected through my story. So it's totally crucial to know and to tell and to continually put out there. So that being said, in this episode, I am going to unroll that story for you just like I did in the last five blog posts. But don't worry, I am not going to just straight up read the post to you, which is what I normally do, um, kind of read a blog post and then talk through it. I'm not going to do that and just be like, okay, here it is. Enjoy. Because the reason I have this podcast that's tied to my blog is because I want to add another dimension to those posts and another level to those posts. So I am definitely going to go ahead and read some of the original posts and I'm going to read some excerpts and some highlights, but mostly I'm going to be explaining what's behind those posts and giving a little more context and information than a written post allows for. I am also going to go in order of the original post, so it's not really a chronological order, but if you read the posts, um, they were in that order for a reason. So sit back, relax. Um, I hope that you can relate and enjoy listening to my story. All right. The very first post in this series was called The Part of My Story You Never Heard. And it's totally meant to be a teaser title, like screaming, click me, read me. So I hope that that worked, but it's also totally accurate. This is most definitely the part of the teacher to unteacher journey that you never heard. And you never heard it because I never told it until this post. But as my mom and my sister and my boyfriend and a couple of my close friends can all testify to, this is 100% accurate. This actually happened. It's true. It's real. And this is an excerpt from the part of my story that you never heard. On a Wednesday morning in October 2015, just barely two months into the school year, I impatiently waited for first period to end and my students to leave before I walked down to the front office choking back tears and a giant knot in my throat to inform the school secretary that I was sick. I was not sick, at least not in the way she thought or the way you're probably imagining, but I also wasn't well, so it really wasn't a total lie. I definitely didn't feel good, and I truly did have a stomachache. It was also entirely possible that I was going to throw up, but then again, anything's possible, right? However, I'd be lying if I said that I didn't know that the potential for vomit in the middle of a science lesson in a room full of 10-year-olds wasn't perfect justification for an immediate substitute for the remainder of the day. In any case, honestly or not, I was going home. At 9 a.m., with four classes left to teach, hundreds of copies left to make, and mounds of papers left to be graded, I bailed. I remember everything about this day so distinctly. Having secured a sub, I walked back up to my classroom to gather my things, knowing full well that although I was leaving school grounds for the remainder of the day, school wasn't leaving me, 
and I'd need to bring home my usual load of books to prepare for tomorrow's inevitable lessons. I meandered the hallways and stairs and dodged eye contact with all my poor, innocent students who lovingly and naively said, feel better, Miss Jordan, and I finally escaped through the back doors into the privacy of my car. And I cried. When my mom attempted to rescue me in what I now see as not a breakdown, but a vital catalyst to becoming myself, she asked me, what's the worst part? I thought it through. The late nights and early mornings, never-ending lesson plans, the 20-plus kids talking while I'm talking, after-school meetings when I have so much to do for the next day, the inadequacy I feel, the fact that my social life has been swallowed up by my work. But the best answer of all, which I told my mom on that Wednesday morning while my students were in second period and I was in bed, was this, that I have to go back tomorrow. So that's the part of my story you probably never heard. You probably heard I used to be a teacher. You probably heard I quit and started pursuing and building my own business. And you probably heard I'm super passionate about living in a way that fully honors who you are. But you probably never heard about the Wednesday morning I jumped ship. So yes, I do not advertise much about that Wednesday morning where I faked sick and left school at like 9.30 in the morning because that's embarrassing and it's pathetic. And also because I don't really want to just totally paint my teaching experience as something so awful because as a whole, it wasn't awful. It just wasn't a good fit for me. That morning was an actual nightmare though. Like I was definitely not sick legitimately, but I was so unhappy and just nervous and like uneasy feeling that day that I think I could have just thought myself into vomiting. So yes, it was a lie that I wasn't feeling well, but honestly, not 100%. And there was nothing really special about that day either. I mean, it was only about two months into the school year at that point, and I had already had my first round of report card conferences. I knew my students pretty well. I knew their parents. I knew and loved my coworkers. Like, There was no incident or specific turning point other than I think at that point I had just felt really uneasy and anxious and confused for like 10 weeks straight and it just boiled over that day. But I remember going home all pitifully with my giant old lady laptop bag and my big old purse full of papers. And like, as soon as I got in my room, I immediately took off my work clothes and I just collapsed into my bed. And I literally buried my head under the covers in the fetal position. Like no dramatization here. I was just feeling so sorry for myself. And I was not even attempting to physically compensate for my emotional state of being. And that day, um, my sister who I lived with was supposed to be in class all day. So I was like, this is perfect. I'm just going to be home alone, have this meltdown in private and get it over with. And probably right after I finished that thought, I heard the door open downstairs and I was like, shit, who is that? And then my sister, who had seen my car in the driveway at this point and was like totally confused, like, it's Wednesday, what is Emily doing? She called upstairs and she was like, Emily? And that day is so vivid in my mind that I can still hear her exact intonation and confusion in the way that she said my name. And I remember lying there thinking like, I'm not even going to answer. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. So I I just laid there and I tried to cry a little quieter. <laughs> and she walked into my room and she was like shocked, like literally like she saw a dead body. And she's like, are you OK? Which I obviously was not. So I just said, nope. And I don't remember what she said after that. I don't remember how many hours passed, but it felt like within the next 15 minutes, my mom was at my house and in my bed with me. Mind you, my parents lived like two hours away from me at this time, so 
either my mom was just embodying that meme where the girl invites the guy over and says like, hey, my parents aren't home. (laughs) Or she was already in Baton Rouge or something like an hour away. I do not know the logistics. I just know, like the post says, my mom came over to my house. I was 22 years old and faking sick for my very real ass job. And she crawled in bed with me. So of course, yeah, that made me feel good and it was comforting, but it also completely mortified me and gave me the biggest sense of shame and guilt. So then I'm crying more because of that. And she's trying to console me and she's asking like, who do you think you could ask for help? Or like, is there anything I can do? And I was just thinking the entire time, like, that's really nice, but there's literally nothing that anyone can do seriously, because it was not the actual labor of the job that I was crying about. Like, yeah, that part sucked and it was really hard. And I was staying up super late and I was exhausted. I didn't get to do anything on the weekends, but that's not why I was crying. I was crying because I just didn't want to do that job anymore. And so she asked me what the worst part was, and she will tell you exactly what I said in this post. I told her, The worst part is that I have to go back there tomorrow because there were a lot of shitty parts about that job. Um, But mostly the shitty part was that it was never ending for me. It was just five days in a row of wearing clothes that didn't fit. And she was basically asking me, like, how can we make these clothes fit you? And literally no one could. So that's the point of this part of the story is that when you know deep down that something doesn't fit you or when you know that you're doing something or being someone that isn't you you feel it and you know it and maybe other people won't get it. And it sucks because there's nothing that anyone can do about it, but it's one of the worst feelings. And that day was terrible, but it ended up being a very pivotal moment in the entire story because I took that feeling and I said, I'm never going to feel like this again. And I really haven't. So that was how the series began. And the next post was the very beginning part of my story. So in this part, I backed up to the very beginning and went into things like, how did I become a teacher? Why did I become a teacher? And how could I not be happy as a teacher if this was really something that I truly always wanted to do? So to answer the first couple of questions, why did I become a teacher? Um, I became a teacher because literally my whole life, that's what I wanted to do. When people used to ask me, what do you want to be when you grow up? It was an immediate answer. I was like, I want to be a teacher. And all of my favorite teachers were like my heroes when I was little. I wanted to be them so badly. I thought they had like the coolest lives. I remember like loving school. I loved to be at school. I even loved staying late after school. Um, I loved the way the hallway smelled. I loved how fun cafeteria duty looked. Um, I really wanted a rolly chair and I wanted a wipe off board and I wanted to call on people to answer questions. I wanted to do it all. I played school all the freaking time with my little sisters. I even had a wipe off board mounted to one of the walls of my room. And, and so we had fake lessons all the time. We had fake desks and it was so much fun. I even played school without them, like when I had to just pretend and make up students. So I loved pretending like I was teaching somebody. I loved pretending like I was helping somebody learn something. I also remember growing up that one of the things I loved to do was just teach people how to do stuff in general. I would write like these fake how-to books and do like presentations to my family on them. I made how-to videos with an actual video camera. And I taught my mom like a million of those hand clapping patty cake games. Like if anybody remembers bang, snap, clap and slide. Like I taught my mom those things and I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And I'm pretty sure she could probably still do them. But the point is I became a teacher because I have always been a teacher. I've always loved teaching and I've always been teaching things just kind of naturally. 
How I became a teacher is another question, and it's pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. It's pretty much how most people become teachers. But how did I become the type of teacher I became is a little bit more of a backstory. So in high school, we had to take two years of a foreign language, and French and Spanish were the only options that fit my schedule at the time. And French had like six students in it, and Spanish had like 30. So I was like, oh, it'll be fun to take a small class. I'll do something kind of different than the rest of my friends. So I signed up for French, and I freaking loved it. I loved the language. I loved my teacher. And she too became one of my greatest heroes and mentors. And because of her, I was like, all right, it's decided. I am going to be a French teacher. So condensing the story a bit here, I went to LSU and studied French and I was on track to graduate with a French degree and a concentration in secondary ed to be a high school French teacher. I had done at least like 60 plus hours of observation in high school French classrooms. I taught fake lessons. I wrote fake lesson plans. I studied abroad in France for a summer, the whole shebang. And then my friend who was a year older than me asked me to come with her to this meeting about going to teach English in France. And I was like, well, I definitely can't do that because I'm still going to be in school by the time it's time to go. But yeah, sure, whatever. I'll come listen to the presentation with you and get some free finger sandwiches. But fast forward like six months later and I was graduating early. I had dropped the secondary ed concentration of my degree and I was enrolled in a master's program with that same friend. And we were officially moving to France to teach and study for a year. So now I have a bachelor's in French and a master's in teaching, and I taught English in a high school in France for a year, and then I got hired as a French immersion teacher here in New Orleans in 2015. So I'm going to read a real quick excerpt from this blog post, and then I'm going to finish up with a couple more notes. So that is how I became a teacher by profession, although I have truly always been teaching, and I still am. I love teaching just as much as I did during pretend school lessons with my two baby sister students. And that's the thing that made it all so terrible. I wanted to do this so badly. And then I did it, and it didn't quite feel like it fit. Although it may not appear to be the case, I loved teaching. That's the part that sucks, don't you see? If only I had loved it less, perhaps the split would have been more amicable. If only it were not my childhood passion, perhaps leaving it would not have scarred me in the ways that it has. But. An integral part of my story is the deep-seated passion, the very real, very gut-wrenching tug of war we all face between reconciling who we are with what we do. And the lovely truth of the matter that took me two long years to accept is this. I am still a teacher, and I'm not sure there's any way for me to be anything else. So something else that people always assume or think is that quitting was really easy and the decision to leave was a really easy decision to make since I was so clearly uncomfortable. But as this part of the post states, it was not easy at all. Of course, the physical act of quitting, like going down to my principal's office, which by the way, even at 22 years old, still felt like being a kid in the principal's office. Um, that was really freaking hard and it was awkward. But more than that, coming to that decision itself was not as easy as it seems like it would have been. Like, it seems like it'd be super obvious if you were unhappy somewhere that leaving would be um, the obvious choice to make. But I wrestled a lot with feeling like I was betraying myself or betraying my parents for having supported me and helped me through this degree. Like, I felt like if I was wrong about this, then what else could I be wrong about? And to be honest, the easy choice here would have been to just stay. The easy thing to do would have been to not even consider leaving and consider going a different route because 
that would have and already has required a lot of replanning and rerouting. So quitting was definitely hard, but it was just the beginning to what I can now see is a much larger, much more important and totally necessary sequence of events. The next post in the series was called the part where I was really happy. And in this part, I talk about how deeply soul satisfying it was to quit, even though, like I just said, it was really hard. And I was super terrified because I had no backup income. And I also felt like an idiot, but it was satisfying on a soul level because for the first time in a really long time, like maybe since undergrad, I felt like I was free to imagine possibilities for myself. Like The security that being a teacher offered to me was great and it was comforting on a lot of levels. Like I knew every two weeks I was getting a check regardless of what I did or didn't do, but that security was also limiting. It stopped me from imagining things for myself because I was essentially in a very fixed position. So when I quit and just untethered myself from this place, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm 22 years old. I can do so many things right now. Like the world totally opened up to me. Um, I had no one to report to. The world was literally my canvas. I was like free to make whatever I wanted of my life. And of course, at the time, I had no idea that that would mean starting a business. I kind of thought I would just like find another job. But either way, for just a couple months, I let myself forget about not making money. um, And I just let myself be free. Immediately after the school year ended, I went through about a six month period of what I now call soul vomiting. And in this period, I basically just made so much stuff. I wrote so much. I painted so much. I watched like so many YouTube videos of how to things. And I followed so many Instagram accounts. And honestly, so much of what I made and wrote during this time was like shit. It was not good at all. But It was and still is some of the most true, authentic and like from the soul work that I've ever made. It was literally just pouring out of me. It was awesome. I felt like I didn't have to put any effort into coming up with ideas. It was like someone had just unscrewed the cap of a fire hydrant. So that summer after I was finished teaching and then a couple months after the summer, I was just going down every single creative outlet and path I could find. And I was so happy. But One thing I tried to emphasize in this post and want to reiterate again here is that I don't want this part of the story to insinuate that just because I was happy when I quit, I was entirely unhappy as a teacher because like I mentioned earlier, it was not an overall unhappy experience. It just wasn't the fit for me. So here's an excerpt from this post that explains that idea a little more clearly. To say that I was unhappy as a teacher is inaccurate, and also it's missing the point entirely. I was more than unhappy, I was unfulfilled, and those are not the same things. I was really happy in the months of soul vomiting, not because I was no longer teaching, but because I was no longer living a life that wasn't mine. And that's the whole point of this story. It's not to say, hey, this really sad thing happened to me where I used to be a teacher and I didn't like it, so I quit, and I want to tell you how I found my way. No. The whole point of this story is to say, hey, this really sad thing happened to me where I lived in a way that did not align with who I was and what I believed in. And I bet it's happened to you and so many others too. So I want to tell you how to find your way. And that's the whole point of me telling this story. My story is relevant, not just because it's mine and because it's made me who I am, but it's literally the reason I do what I do. It is the foundation of my brand and business and my experiences, good and bad, are exactly what I use when I work with people. 
because my story is also your story in some way. And that's the real point here. So I wanted to be clear that even though this part of the story is called the part where I was really happy, the point of this or of telling my story in general is not ever to be like, let me tell you when I've been happy and when I've been unhappy in my career. No, not at all. The point, like I said, it's much greater than happiness or unhappiness. It's much deeper than that. It's about that feeling we've all rubbed up against where we're like, eh, is this me? Am I really being true to me right now? And sometimes we choose to ignore that feeling and ignore that question because it's a call to action. And not all of us want to take action or feel like we're in a place to take action. But again, like I say here, I'm sure that this has happened to you too. I'm sure that my story is also your story. And besides the fact that understanding this is crucial to understanding my work, it's also important for me to talk about this because the more people hear about others going through something that they're also going through, the more comforting that situation becomes and the more they're able to kind of see like a light at the end of the tunnel. I actually just heard a guy talking about this the other day and he was like, if you're driving down the road and your car slips on a patch of ice, it's kind of just decent human duty to point out that slippery patch of ice or whatever to other people. Like if you go through some shit and you don't tell other people, hi, I went through this and you might go through it too. So here's what helped me. Like you're kind of being a coward in my mind and you're doing a disservice to other people. So I just want to emphasize that this part and even the next part that we're about to get into are not like whiny parts of the story. They're just parts I think that we all go through and so are important to talk about. So that was the part where I was really happy. The next part that I posted was the part where I was really sad. And I really didn't know what to call this part of the story because sad kind of seemed like pathetic and like it didn't really fully describe all the emotions, but it ended up being actually pretty accurate because on top of feeling frustrated and confused and guilty and lost and all of those things, I was truly just in mourning. I was mourning a life that I thought I'd never get to live. And I was sad. I felt like I could see what else I could be doing. I could feel myself not using the gifts and the passions that I had. And I could imagine other places and spaces that I could be in where I could potentially be happier. And that made me really sad. So sad actually ended up being the most accurate word for this part of the story, even though it initially seemed just kind of pathetic. But in this part of the story, I also got into the logistics of my actual job and my job duties because I'm not sure I ever really explained what kind of teacher I was. And it's kind of important to why I wanted out so badly. Um, I usually just say like, oh yeah, I didn't like teaching or teaching wasn't for me. But honestly, I think I could have stuck it out like maybe another year at least if I were in a normal classroom. But I was teaching French immersion and looking back, like I'm definitely glad that my experience was as rough as it was because it allowed me to get out sooner and discover my real passions much sooner than if I was, like I said, trying to stick it out in a quote normal classroom. So I hesitate to tell this part of the story because I don't want it to sound like I'm whining or like asking for pity or being like, look at me, look how hard my job was. But I just want to be clear about what my job was. Um, and also, it's kind of interesting once you know like what fringe immersion is. And I just want to point out what immersion teachers at my school and most schools do in Louisiana so that you can properly appreciate their work and efforts and what goes into it. So French immersion means that the students I taught were learning everything in French. Um, and they were not learning French like 
this is the word for hello. This is how you say chair. And I was not teaching French to them that way. I wasn't ever being like, this is how you count. This is how you read. They were learning French the same way that you and I learned English. Like people just started talking English to us when we were babies and we picked up on it. So this is exactly what French immersion or language immersion is. Um, so for in a school setting, that means that all of the core subjects, math, science, and social studies, are taught in the foreign language. So in my case, all those core subjects were taught in French. So that means that when it was time to learn long division, we learned it in French and I taught that in French. That means that when it was time to talk about the pilgrims and the Mayflower and how we wrote the constitution, we talked about that in French. It also means that I had to do a lot of translation work because my school did not have textbooks for French immersion kids. We did have textbooks in English for them, but like, if I was giving a worksheet or giving homework on simple machines or Newton's laws, an English textbook wasn't really going to serve them since they wouldn't know how to explain concepts like gravity or inertia um, with an English textbook. They wouldn't even have the proper vocabulary words like they wouldn't know how to say lever or pulley. So I was kind of doing double the work because in addition to teaching them the concepts, I was also creating like vocabulary sheets or like little guides to help them even understand what those words were. Now, one of the cool things about this is um, also actually the really hard part of it. And it's that, you know, you don't know what a pulley is until someone teaches you what a pulley is, right? Like you don't ever have a concept of what that is until someone explains it to you. You don't know what one fourth is until someone teaches you what one fourth is. So these kids, like all of us, had no context for what pulleys and what one fourth or one eighth was. So even when I wanted to just revert to English and make everything easier and be like, okay, une poulie, that means pulley, or un quart, that's a fourth, like let's get on with the lesson. Um, I couldn't do that. So that was a major block in just about every lesson because I was up there trying to think of how to explain why one fourth is bigger than an eighth to a 10 year old in my second language with no resources in like a 45 minute session only to have to later go back and re-explain that in English because even though they were in French immersion, they were going to be taking the state standardized test later in the year in English. So they kind of had to know the concepts in both languages. And so it was really tough. Yeah, it was really fun. And linguistically, it was really cool. Like, I loved that my students didn't know English. Like, I loved when they were like, how do you say this in English? But as the teacher, I hated that question. As a language lover, that was really cool because their brains were literally constructed in French. And so I thought that was really cool. I was really jealous because they kind of had already mastered a level of language that took me until college to get to. But anyway, I feel like you just have to understand exactly what type of teacher I was and what that meant in order to fully understand why I didn't like it so much and why it just did not fit for me. Because it was not just your average elementary classroom. I had very little resources. There was literally nothing I could pull from um, online or from Pinterest like most teachers. So I was just actually formatting worksheets and translating textbooks for an entire year. But I want to read an excerpt from this post because the point of telling this part of the story and explaining my job to you and telling the parts where I was essentially really sad is deeper than saying um, this job was demanding and hard. The point of this part of the story is about how sad I was to be not living a life that I wanted for myself. So here's an excerpt from that blog. 
Suffice it to say, the labor of teaching was half the battle, but the other half was all of my paint supplies gathering dust, all of my half-written blog posts. I had no blog at the time, only an imaginary one, and poems on post-it notes, or worse, trapped in my head. I felt like I had put creative Emily in a jar on a shelf and had to just look at her, unused and unhappy, daily. That was sad. Very sad. My weekends were spent grading papers, making PowerPoints, formatting worksheets, and making new seating charts, a very unexpected time sucker. And all of these, in and of themselves, are not particularly sad or bad things. What was sad and bad for me, though, was that I was daily saying no to pieces of me that desperately wanted and needed to come alive. I was saying, no writer Emily, not now. No artist Emily, not today. No helping Emily, no time for that. No funny Emily, no jokes now. No curious Emily, no passionate Emily, lively Emily, knowledgeable Emily. Only teacher Emily was out. And with her came serious Emily, doubtful Emily, self-conscious Emily, tired, scared, confused Emily. This brings me back to the entire point of telling this whole story. The entire point of my work, my brand, my message. Saying no to who you are, denying yourself a life in which you honor all the pieces and versions of you, is to cop out. It's to sell yourself short. It's to hide behind fear. Most importantly, it's also to deny others the opportunity to be their best selves because you have not chosen to elevate yourself. Making the bold choice to honor who you are, to blur the line between who you are and what you do, it's not a selfish act. When we choose to honor ourselves, we also choose a life that allows others to do the same. And that's what the world needs more of. People who are themselves. So I really love what this says because it again points back to the entire point of what I do and why I do it because I truly believe that it takes a massive amount of courage to say yes to all of those versions of yourself that are the truest. It takes courage to honor who you are. It took a lot of courage for me to say yes to creative Emily and say no to teacher Emily temporarily. And I also believe that when we find that courage to honor who we are and that courage to elevate ourselves, it's only then that we are in a position to elevate others. And that's why I feel like I'm able to do what I do now. Because as a teacher, even though I was still essentially me, I was not honoring who I was and I was not honoring the gifts and the passions that I have. So I wasn't in a place at all to serve others and to help others be the best forms of themselves because I wasn't even the best form of myself. So that's why this part of the story, even though it's a sad part, is still a really great part to me and an important part because it's a necessary part. It was totally necessary for me to face that friction between who I was and what I was doing. Otherwise, I wouldn't be living the life that I live now that I love so much. And I want to encourage you to really hear this part of the story and think about how it fits into yours. Like, how do you connect to this? What times in your life can you look back on or look at right now and be like, I'm not living up to who I really am and honoring all the parts of me. And that takes guts, guys. Like, it was so hard to look at my life as a teacher and admit that A, This wasn't really where I belonged, even though it was something that I always wanted to do. And B, I could be doing more, but I was actively choosing not to by remaining in that profession. And I found something that I wrote in June of 2016 that goes along with this. And it says, I got honest and realized that not only was I not choosing the things I wanted to be and do, but I was also choosing to be and do something else. 
It was this inauthenticity that I couldn't live with. And that's really what I want you to take away from this post. What you are doing right now is your choice, whether you want to admit that or not. So ask yourself, what are you choosing? And what are you not choosing? Lastly, how can you reconcile those two things? How can you make sure that you are blurring that line between who you are and what you do? If you are still with me at this point, then we're almost done, I swear. Um, We are on to the final post in this series, which is called The Now Part of My Story. And this one was kind of hard to write. I said in the blog post, I don't really know how to tell the now part of my story because it's like all the other parts combined. And that's so true. Where I am now, what I'm doing now, I kind of feel like you already know, not just because you probably follow me elsewhere, but because you already know all the parts we just went through. Like to tell you who I am now and what I do now would just be really me repeating everything I just said, which I know you don't want me to do because what I do now is a result of all of those parts. What I do now and where I'm at now, where my career is now and the direction it's going in is all just a result and matter of what happened to me and what I chose to do with that. So here's what I said about that in the blog post. The now part of my story really can't be told because I'm telling it every day. I'm writing it through every blog post and Instagram picture. I'm living it every second and it spans forward and backward. You know the now part of my story because you know the past parts of my story and because you're a part of that story now too. The now part of my story is about remembering the beginning part, the sad part, and the happy part. It's about understanding why those parts needed to happen and who I am because of them. There is no now without all of those other parts, so that's kind of all I can say about the now part of my story. You know it already, and you're both witnessing and participating in it right this very moment. So that's pretty much it. I feel like there isn't a whole lot to say about the now part of my story. Um, I could tell you what I do on a daily basis, which is more or less the same. I like to wake up early and write and respond to emails and have my coffee before the rest of the world is awake. I like to go for a run or work out or something almost every day. And when everyone else is awake and functioning, I'm at work just like everybody else, except work looks a lot different to me right now. Um, I spend my time writing blog posts and podcast episodes, editing ebooks. Um, that is a plug for my ebook that I'm releasing very soon. I'm making art and training people at different gyms. I'm tutoring, I'm subbing, I'm coaching group workout classes. I'm basically just developing me and my business in some way every single day. So while there are a lot of people who might look at my life and be like, no, you don't work because you don't make X amount of money or you don't work because you don't have a job. I know that what I do every day is work because it not only feels like work and looks like work, but because it's absolutely necessary in order to get where I want to be with my work. Um, This is definitely a very foundational phase of my business, but you can't build anything without a foundation. So I'm very okay with where I'm at and what I do on a daily basis. And that being the now part of my story, I'm very grateful to be able to have a place to tell my story and to have you as a part of it. I'm glad you're a listener or subscriber or both or a friend or family member or whatever you are. Seriously, like it's so cool to think of my story and to reflect back on it and be like, dang, this is mine. I did this. This is me. But this is also much bigger than me. This is everyone. Like 
this is my business, yes, but my business is not for me. It's for other people. And so is my story. So thank you for sticking it out with me here today and every day, really. I have no idea how long this episode has been, but I can feel that it's been a long one. So I really appreciate your dedication in listening to this and giving me a place to be myself and share me with you. I want to close this episode with a little encouragement for you and then also a couple housekeeping things. Um, This was a really cool exercise and practice in gratitude, reflection, and self-appreciation. So I would highly encourage you to take some time to think about your own story. And you may not feel like you have a story. You may not feel like there are any parts to really tell, but we all have a story. Who you are is your story. Everything that happens to you is a part of who you are and why you're here. So you definitely have a story. And I think that it would be really helpful and fun and just cool for you to spend a solid amount of time thinking about that for yourself. The last thing I'm going to say is that if you have not reviewed this podcast in iTunes or rated it or anything like that, that would be a super cool favor um, that you could do for me. If you are super lazy and don't feel like doing that, I'm not going to hold it against you. But I will say that letting people know when you appreciate them or their work is a really important skill and thing to do. A lot of times we admire someone or we appreciate someone or like something that someone did and we just never let them know. So even if that's not about me and my podcast, that's fine. But think of someone in your life that you can reach out to this week and be like, hey, thanks for being you because that goes a really long way. Thank you for listening. I'm going to release you from the grips of this episode now and you can go into your week or your day or your night or whatever. I hope that it's great and I will catch you in the next episode. Mm